All right, so um, I know what I'm up against this morning, okay? You walked in, you saw the tables filled with food. Maybe if you try real hard, you can smell it. Okay, normally when you can smell something during church, it's not a good thing. Uh, but today, today it is good, all right? Um, hey, we're going to jump right in because your tummies are growling and you can smell the food. So um, we, we've been in a series called Invitation and, and Invitation from Jesus and uh, just each week looking at a specific invitation that Jesus gives to, uh, to his people and, and by extension to us. And so the first week we looked at Jesus' invitation to us to find rest in him. Um, last week we looked at the invitation to follow Jesus, to, uh, to, to make him the central point of our lives, to, to shape every aspect of our lives around him and to follow him in what he calls us to. And so... That leads us right up to uh, our third invitation this week um, here in Matthew chapter 14. So to give you some context of the passage we're going to look at, um, this. so so what's happened is Jesus has already called his disciples at this point. Um, In the verses preceding what we're going to look at this morning, um, the the disciples had just witnessed this miracle where Jesus fed a crowd of of over 5,000 people. As I was thinking this week, like, what, what is that like? Like, a, like how, how big of a crowd is that? 5,000 people. And, and then as I thought about that, that hit me. That's probably about the same size of crowd that's willing to still pay to watch Louisville play basketball. Right? Was that, that was out of bounds, wasn't it? That was. That was out of bounds. All right? You, I got to get in my, my digs while I can because you guys are going to crush us in football next week. Okay? Um, but a crowd of about 5,000 people, and the disciples are there, and Jesus is there. And it's this amazing experience, uh, and it's right on the heels of that that we pick up our story in verse 22, okay? We'll kind of work through it uh, chunk by chunk. Let's read together starting in verse 22, Matthew chapter 14. It says, Immediately he, being Jesus, made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. All right, so the crowd is gone. Um, Jesus is alone up, up on top of a mountain, The disciples are on their own out in the middle of uh, the Sea of Galilee. Uh, And and it's like such a stark contrast from what we just talked about, like the scene they just experienced, surrounded by a crowd of 5,000 people. Jesus is there. He's doing awesome stuff. And all of a sudden, it's into this sort of separation and uh, and solitude that the winds begin to blow, right? The waves begin to pick up and crash against the side of the boat. And I want you to think about what that... Put yourself in the disciples' shoes. Okay, they've just seen this mountaintop experience, right, where um, Jesus fed this crowd of 5,000 people with like a first century Lunchable is basically what it was. Okay, and then now here they are in the middle of the Sea of Galilee in the middle of the night, and they're about to be in the middle of, of a raging storm. And, and on top of that, Jesus is nowhere to be found. Right, Jesus said, you all go ahead. Then he went and did his own thing. So they're just there on their own. Right? But look at verse 22 again. 
It says, immediately he made the disciples get into the boat. Right, so Jesus knows what he's doing here. Right, Jesus is fully man, but he's also fully God, and that he, he knows what's about to happen. Right, you read through the Gospels, Jesus consistently answers questions before people actually ask them. Like he knows, what's, he knows what he's doing. He knows he's sending them into the wind. Right? He's purposefully sending them into the waves. He's intentionally putting them smack dab in the middle of the sea, in the middle of a storm. Right? None of this is going to catch Jesus by surprise. Okay? And, I, and I want you to lean into that for a second because the, the point here is that Jesus, like there are times when Jesus will purposefully place his followers in circumstances that are anything but convenient and comfortable. Right? He will. That's what, that's what he does. That, listen, the disciples did not encounter the waves and the wind because of their disobedience. Right? Now, that was Jonah's story. If you're familiar with the story of Jonah, Jonah tried to run away from God and what God wanted him to do. And because he ran away, God sends a storm and breaks up the boat, and he ends up overboard, swallowed by a fish, right? But that's not what's happening here. All right, what's happening here is Jesus intentionally sent them into the storm. In other words, it was their obedience that led them into the middle of the wind and the waves and the storm. Okay, so here's what that means for you and me. Is that like the hardest seasons of your life, Right, the seasons where you wish you could press the skip button, where you are close to just throwing in the towel and giving up, the seasons where you are tempted to just say, Lord, I don't know what you're doing here. Have you lost control? Right, those seasons, right, the challenging, inconvenient, hard seasons of, of your life may very well be the seasons where the Lord has, has purposely, intentionally placed you so that you might learn something about him. Right? Because that's what's going to happen to these disciples. In the middle of the storm, on a raging sea, they're going to learn some things about, about Jesus. They're going to see Jesus differently than they had before. Okay, But that's later for the sermon. So, we think about Jesus sending us into these storms, into these seasons of life, into these challenging things. Like, the reason he does that, allows us to experience those things, is because how else will we know that Jesus really is enough unless we're put in situations that we're forced to believe Jesus actually is enough? Right? It's one thing to sort of mentally affirm, like, yes, Jesus is enough for me. He's all I need. Like, it's one thing to sort of mentally affirm that. It's another thing to, like, go through a storm that wreaks absolute havoc on your life, and yet to, to find in that storm, no, Jesus really is enough. Right? The winds are blowing, the waves are crashing against the boat. Come what may, Jesus actually is enough for me. Okay? And so our, our kind of our response in those times, I think, is, is it should be less of how do I get out of this and more Lord, what do you want me to get out of this? Right? So, back to the story. Verse 25. 
So they're out in the middle of the sea, the middle of the storm. And in the fourth watch of the night, he, again, that's Jesus, came to them walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. So if the storm is not terrifying enough, middle of the night, like pitch black darkness, I'm guessing, or close to it, middle of the sea, wind and waves crashing against the boat, um, if that's not terrifying enough, now all of a sudden, kind of through the wind and the waves and all that, they, they begin to see this mysterious outline of a figure walking towards them. Okay? And he's walking on water. Right? We read this after the fact, and we're like, yeah, of course, it's Jesus. Put yourself in their shoes. Right? Imagine, right, imagine you're having a, just a great time out on Freeman Lake. You decide, you know what? For kicks and giggles, I'm going to spend the night out here in my canoe on Freeman Lake. And then a storm comes. And you're like, well, this is not what I was looking for. Okay, this is not great. And then in the middle of that, you see a shadowy figure walking towards you on the water. Right? In that moment, you're not thinking like, well, this is strange. I wasn't expecting anyone. In that moment, you're like, no, this, this is how I'm going to die. This is the end for me. Right? This is it. And it's that kind of like, what in the world is going on here sort of fear that the disciples feel in this moment, right? They, to the point where they thought it was a ghost. All right, now listen, I don't know what your stance on ghosts are. Clearly they were pretty terrified though because their first thought was, you know what, it's a ghost. Okay, so take that for, for what you will, okay? But, but listen, notice, notice the thing that that they experienced. So in the storm, on the middle of the sea, in the middle of the night, right, terrified, all of a sudden they hear a familiar voice. Right, verse 27. It says, But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. All right, so a couple things. Notice when Jesus immediately addresses their fear. Yes, he sent them out ahead of him. Yes, he sent them into the storm and the wind and the waves. Right? Yes, he was not with them to begin with. They were on their own. But as soon as we see that they are afraid, right, Jesus immediately comforts them. He doesn't condemn them for their fear. Right? He, he doesn't, like he's not angry with them because they're afraid. He says he immediately comforts them. Okay, and, and the, what I, the second thing I want you to see is what he comforts them with. Right? He doesn't calm the wind, at least not yet. He doesn't stop the waves. He doesn't tell the storm to shut up. Okay, there's kids in the room. I can't say that. We don't say that. He doesn't tell the storm to be quiet. Okay. He comforts them with his presence. Right? He, he says, hey, I'm here. I know there's wind. I know there's waves. I know you're fearing for your life, but I'm here. I'm with you. Do not be afraid. Right? It, it's in 
like the storms of life, those things I mentioned earlier, the things that we wish we could skip past and not experience and just kind of, right? It's, it's in the middle of those things that Jesus will like allow us, those, those places where Jesus will allow us to experience things, experience things so that we might learn to trust him. He, he comforts us in those seasons, not by removing all of our problems. Right? Jesus' promise to us is, hey, when you're afraid, when you're suffering, when you're in trouble, I'm just going to take all those things away. Right? Now, one day he will, but there's no guarantee in that moment that he's changing anything. But what he does offer is comfort in the form of his presence. Okay, so to put that in real practical terms, the cancer may never be cured, but Jesus is with you in it. The, the broken relationship with your, your spouse or maybe with your child or with your uh, family member or friend or whatever, it, it may never be fully restored to the degree that you wish it, it, it were. Right? But the book says the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and to those who are, are crushed in spirit. Right? Or, or here's one that is not, probably not popular for at least a pastor to say, when does that ever stop me? Uh, we may never see the day when this room is full. I mean, I hope I'm wrong. I pray that I'm wrong. Right? I still pray the prayer that one day we'll have to kick the tenants out of the back because we need more room. Listen, listen, even if that day doesn't come, Jesus is still just as present where two, are, two or three are gathered as he is where two or three hundred are gathered. Right? Our greatest source of comfort is not the removal of our problems. It's Jesus' presence. That's our comfort. Right? I can't help but be reminded of Jesus' words uh, to his disciples a little later on in the book of Matthew. This is Matthew 14. If you fast forward to the end of the book of Matthew... Jesus is crucified, he's resurrected, and he's about to give his disciples a mission before he ascends to go be with the Father. Right? And he says, hey, I'm, I'm sending you out to go and make disciples. And, and like he knew what he was sending them into on the Sea of Galilee this night, he knew what he was sending them into then. Right? They would be ridiculed, mocked, beaten, imprisoned, all but one of them would actually be, be murdered, killed for sharing the gospel. And even the one that got away was deep fried in a vat of oil and left on an island to die. Jesus knew he was sending them into those things. Right? And his last words to them right, were, not, were not, hey, I'm going to take away all the pain and challenges and difficulties and storms. His last words to them were this. I am with you always to the end of the age. Right? Jesus' promise to them was not an easy life of following him, an easy life of making disciples. His promise was that whatever comes in your life, I'm with you. I am with you to the end of the age. Right? So to circle back to this scene here in Matthew 14, listen. It was better for the disciples to be in the middle of the storm with Jesus than to be safe on the shore without him. 
And the same is true for you. It is far better for you to experience pain, suffering, challenges, difficulty, and know that Jesus is with you and experience his presence with you. It's better for you to do that than to be safe on the shore with no problems, no issues, no challenges, but also no Jesus. Right? It's better to be in the storm with Jesus and safe on the shore without him. But let's go on. Verse 28. So Jesus comforts them, announces his presence, says, do not be afraid, I'm here. Verse 28, and Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. So we're talking about invitations from Jesus. This is the invitation. Uh, Peter says, Lord, if this is you, then tell me to come on out. And what's Jesus' invitation to Peter? Well, come on. Right? So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. So listen, I personally, I love Peter. It right? gives me great hope for my life because, man, Peter's, Peter's got some questionable moments. Okay, if you read through kind of the, the gospel narratives, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Peter fairly consistently does some pretty dumb stuff. Just opens his mouth, inserts foot. Right? At one point, he's trying to tell Jesus he's wrong, and Jesus calls him Satan. Like That's not going on Peter's highlight reel. Like his family did not include that little nugget in the obituary, I'm willing to bet. Uh, all right, there's also the whole he denied Jesus thing. Okay, Jesus. And, and look, Jesus even goes to him beforehand. He's like, hey, Peter, listen, man. Um, appreciate you. Appreciate your ministry. I know we're, we're tight. We're close. Listen, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter's like, no, I'm not. Are you crazy? And then sure enough, a few hours later, Peter's like cussing out a middle school girl. Like, I don't know this guy. Leave me alone. Right? I didn't make that up. Like, that's... That's a loose translation, but that's basically what happens. Okay? It's the message. Uh, <laughs> it's not. It's not really. <laughs> right? So, so Peter's got some questionable moments, right? But I think he gets a bad rap because Peter also crushes it sometimes. Right? And I'm contending that this is one of those moments. Right? Because... Yes, Peter had some moments that he would like to have had back, which should comfort you because you've got some of those too. But you know what else Peter did? He walked on water. I've read the Bible through a few times. Not a lot of people walking on the water in the Bible. And yet Peter does. Right? For all of Peter's moments of failure that, that we like to dwell on, right? I just think one day, like, we're going to get to heaven and Peter's going to punch us all on the side of the head and be like, come on, guys. I did some awesome stuff. I'm not as bad as you all make me out to be, okay? But, but for all of Peter's moments of failure, right, he has this epic moment here in Matthew 14 where he walked on water because... He trusted Jesus enough to get out of the boat. 
Right? He trusted Jesus. He was the only one willing to trust Jesus enough to get out of the boat. Right? The only one willing to, to say, hey, Jesus, I think you're able to, to make me walk on water. If this is you, invite me out. I want to walk. I want to walk with you. Right? He's the only one in the boat. Right? Because in the boat, there's at least like this illusion of safety. Like when you're in the boat, like to some degree, like you believe like this boat's going to keep me above water and alive. Right? But when you're outside of the boat, on a raging sea, wind and waves, when you're outside of the boat, the only thing that works is trusting Jesus. Right? There ain't nothing keeping you afloat when you're out there on your own. I guess you're not on your own because Jesus is there too. But you're tracking with me. Right? The only thing that works outside of the boat is to trust Jesus. So, man, let's give Peter some credit. Right? He, he was the only one that believed Jesus actually had the power to make him walk on water. The only one that actually asked Jesus to make him walk on water. And then when Jesus extended the invitation to come, he didn't waste any time trusting Jesus, hopped out of the boat, and was on his way. Right? Now, verse 30. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? Now, if you have a church background, chances are you probably heard this story. And I would be willing to bet that if you heard this story, there's a pretty good chance that the sort of application from the story was, Peter took his eyes off Jesus and he began to sink, don't be like Peter. Which is true. Jesus, or Peter did take his eyes off Jesus. Peter did get distracted by the wind and the waves and the circumstances going around him, and he did begin to sink. Okay? But I also want you to see something else that Peter did that I think we just blow past and overlook. And that was when he began to sink, when he took his eyes off Jesus, when he realized he was in over his head, what does he do? He cries out, Lord, save me. He doesn't try to swim back to the boat in his own power. Right? And he doesn't flop around like, I don't know what to do. Right? He, he cries out to the one person who actually could save him. Right? So what I'm saying to you this morning is, is when you realize you take your eyes off Jesus, and listen to me, there will be moments when you take your eyes off Jesus. Like we all do. Right? Anytime you're tempted to put your trust in anything other than Jesus, you've taken your eyes off Jesus. Right? But when you take your eyes off Jesus, my encouragement to you this morning is to be like Peter. Right? In those moments when you realize I am in over my head. Why am I here again? Why have I done this to myself? When you're, when, like, when you're confronted with the reality that you've sinned all over again, right, when you're confronted with the reality that you've put your trust in something or someone other than Jesus, like, my encouragement to you is to be like Peter and cry out to Jesus. Right? The one who, again, immediately, 
immediately reaches out his hand to save Peter. Right? He, he, doesn't, he doesn't stand back and be like, come on, Peter. Again? No, he immediately reaches out and saves him. Listen, he'll do the same for you. But you've got to have the humility to just say, Lord, I'm in over my head. Save me. And that's what, what he does. Let's look at how the story ends, verse 32 and 33. It says, when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. So Jesus escorts Peter back to the boat. They get in the boat. Peter, I assume, like dripping wet, right, from, from sinking, at least partially sinking. I imagine, a little conjecture here, but I imagine maybe there's some embarrassment, some shame, right? He got out of the boat. He was all bold, and all of a sudden he starts to sink. I imagine there's some, some embarrassment on, on Peter's part. But, but the winds and the waves, they quiet down. The boat stops rocking, and the winds quit howling, and then for the first time, for the first time as is recorded in the book of Matthew, in the Gospels, for the first time, the disciples realize who Jesus is. And for the first time, they acknowledge his true identity. They say, truly, you are the Son of God. And then it says they worshiped him. First time in the book of Matthew, first time in the Gospels that the disciples are recorded as worshiping Jesus. In other words, like, like they encountered Jesus in a way that they never had before in this moment. And, and don't miss this. The reason that all the disciples there in the boat encountered Jesus and see him in a new light, see him in a, in a way they'd never seen him before and worship him because of it. The, the reason they do that is because Peter trusted Jesus enough to actually get out of the boat. Right? It was his getting out of the boat that enabled other people to see this is Jesus, the Son of God, the one worthy of worship. Right? Like, this is the climax of the story. The, the like, high point in the story is not Jesus walking on water, although that is awesome. The high point of the story is not Peter walking on water, although that is awesome. The high point of the story is not Jesus reaching down his hand to save Peter, although that's really awesome. The high point of the story is that the disciples encounter Jesus differently. Right? They, they encounter him in such a way that, that I mean, their entire view of who he is is transformed, and they worship him because of it. The worship of Jesus is the climax, the high point, the pinnacle of the story. And so here's, as we consider all this, right, here's the question I want to lay before you today. All right, I've got two questions. They're, they're connected, though. First one is this. Where do you need to trust Jesus? Where? You think of your life, like, where do you need to trust Jesus? Okay, 
maybe for someone here, like your first and most important act of trust in Jesus is to place your faith in him to receive the forgiveness of sin and the hope of eternal life. The the reality is is that all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. We've all rebelled against the holy God. We all deserve to, to, like Peter, just kind of sink because we've taken our eyes off of the most important thing. Like that's our default nature. But the good news is that like Peter, we're not stuck sinking. We're not stuck in the water because there is a, a Savior who went to the cross who died in our place, who rose again victorious. And if we'll be willing to cry out to him like Peter and say, Lord, save me, he will immediately reach out his hand and save. It doesn't matter what you've done, doesn't matter where you've been, doesn't matter what your story is, you cannot outsin the cross of Jesus Christ. And so maybe for you this morning, your first act of trust would be to turn, repent of your sin, and to trust in the life, death, resurrection of Jesus Christ as the only sufficient payment for your sin. That would be the most important act of trust you could ever make here today. but, But what about for those of you in this room that have already done that? Where do you need to trust Jesus? Like, like, where are you white-knuckling the sides of the boat because you're terrified to get out? You're trusting in this false sense of safety and security. Like, where do you need to trust Jesus and get out of the boat? Like, where do you need to step out of the boat and into greater trust and obedience? Because, listen, we've all got areas where we could do that. Right, so... Just a few examples, right? Maybe you need to trust Jesus with your sin. Okay? And I don't mean like for salvation from your sin, that we just talked about that. I'm talking about maybe you're here and like you just got like indwelling sin that you just cannot seem to conquer. Right? Maybe trusting Jesus for you means that, that rather than trying to sort of hide that and stuff it down inside and Uh, and keep it hidden, maybe you need to expose it by dragging it into the light, confessing it to God, trusting his word that he says uh, when we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us. But I would even go one step further. Maybe you need to drag it into the light and allow somebody else to speak into it, to confess to a brother or a sister, because if I'm reading my Bible right in James, it's when we allow others into our sin and struggles and we confess our sin and struggles to others that we find healing. And so maybe trusting Jesus for you looks like opening up your life and you're saying, and I'm, this is what I'm struggling with. This is what I don't know how to defeat. I can't conquer it on my own. I need help. Okay, maybe you need to trust Jesus with just like money. I think one of the, one of the things we put our trust in so easily is just material stuff. Just like the disciples thought the boat was some like would give them safety and security, we just think, as long as my bank account has enough money in it, I'm good. So maybe for you this morning, trust means, means taking your eyes off of, of that as being your source of security and, and safety and comfort right? and, and aligning yourself with Jesus' priorities. 
To be what the Bible calls a cheerful giver, a hilarious giver is like a literal translation. That we would live with open-handed generosity towards God and towards others rather than just trying to accumulate all that we can for ourselves to keep up with the Joneses. Buy stuff we don't need to impress people we don't like. Right? Maybe you need to trust Jesus and his call on your life to make disciples. Because I, I referenced earlier Matthew 28 where Jesus told his disciples, hey, you, go and make disciples of all nations, of all peoples. Right? That wasn't just a call on their lives. That's a call on our lives if we've surrendered ourselves to Jesus as Lord and Savior. Right? And so, so maybe for you, trusting Jesus just means being a bolder witness. Right? Believing that Jesus' promise to the disciples that he would be with them as they went to make disciples, believing that for yourself, trusting that Jesus meant what he said, and being a bold witness of Jesus Christ in the places you live and work and play. Right? Sometimes we think that we have to like go to some foreign land or, or whatever to do that, and, and maybe some of the Lord would call some of you that. I don't, I don't know. What I do know is that 85 to 87% of Hardin County is not in church on any given Sunday. You've got plenty of mission field around you. Plenty. So what does trust actually look like for you? Where do you need to trust Jesus and step out of the boat and step into greater obedience to him? So that's the first question. And here's the second one. What's actually keeping you from trusting Jesus and getting out of the boat. Right? Because it's one thing to identify, this is an area where I need to trust Jesus more. It's another thing to actually do what Peter did and crawl over the edge of the boat and out onto the water. And so the second question is, what's keeping you from doing that? Right? Is it a fear of failure? Right? That, that, like Peter, you might take a few steps and then blow it and sink. Is it that things might go wrong? That your life may not look like you had carefully planned it out and hoped it would go? Are you afraid that, uh, and that, that you might look foolish to people that stay in the boat? Like, like what's actually keeping you from trusting Jesus in that area and, and getting out of the boat? Because I, let me encourage you with this this morning. Do you realize that Peter got closer to Jesus in his failure than the other disciples did by just hanging out in the boat? Right, that, that Peter, even in his getting out of the boat, walking on water, taking his eyes off Jesus and failing, like he still got closer to Jesus than they did by white-knuckling the sides of, of the boat. Right, what I want you to see is like there's some freedom in failure. Right, there's some free like when we're actually willing to take Jesus at his word, to trust him and get out of the boat, like th- there's some there's some freedom there. Okay, I think of of like um, young kids, like parents with young kids, you'd under kind of understand this. When when our kids are learning to walk, right? They spend a while, like they get to where they can kind of pull themselves up, like on the coffee table or the furniture or whatever, and they just hold it. Okay, and then there's this moment where they're like, they're going to go for it, right? And they let go, and they try to walk, and they get like two steps, 
and then they just smack their face right off the carpet, right? What do we do in those moments as parents? Actually, here's what we don't do. We don't look at them and be like, oh my gosh, this kid. Get it together, man. We wait until they're teenagers before we talk to them like that, right? No, like whenever they, whenever they let go and they trust and we're like, you can do it. Take a step, take a step. Like whenever they fall flat on their face and they fail miserably, what do we do? Reach out our hands, pick them up, and we say, awesome. Do it again. Is that not what the Lord does to us? If we'll trust him, take him at his word, let go and try to take a few steps. Listen, you're probably going to fall. You're probably going to fail. And there's a heavenly father that, like we just read about, reach out, like reaches out his hand and pick you up and say, come on, let's go. Let's do it again. So like really, we talk about what is the thing that keeps you from trusting Jesus and getting out of the boat. Like what's the worst that could happen to you? Right? You, you get embarrassed because you've got sin to confess. Let me give you a heads up. Everybody in this room has sin to confess. It's just not everybody's going to be willing to do it. Okay? So what's the worst that could happen? You get embarrassed. Right? You, you look foolish to people that are still in the boat. Right? Maybe you're rejected for sharing the gospel, the, the good news of Jesus with somebody. Like, yeah, all of those things might happen. But if you'll trust Jesus enough to get out of the boat, what I can promise you is that you'll see Jesus a little closer. And you'll experience Jesus in a new way. And when you see Jesus closer and you experience him in a new way, like the disciples, like Peter, you'll worship him differently than you ever have. So where do you need to trust Jesus? What's keeping you from trusting him? All right, let's pray together. Father, we come to you this morning and just grateful for your word. I pray, Lord, that in this moment you would begin to, Lord, help us to, to begin to see where, where we have areas where we can trust you more fully. But I don't know the situations and circumstances of everyone here in this room, but I just would turn that over to you right now, Lord. Trust that your spirit would, would begin to poke and prod and, and reveal things to, to convict of sin, convict of areas that we need to surrender to you in, in greater trust and obedience. Father, if there's one here this morning that's never made the most important act of trust by surrendering their lives to you as Lord and Savior, I pray that you would reveal that to them this morning. That you would bring conviction in that area and that there would be a, uh, a boldness to, to step out of the boat and, and to trust in you, to have a conversation with myself or someone around them and say, Man, I, I, don't, I don't know if I'm trusting in Jesus. What does that mean for me? Pray that you would, you would prompt them to respond appropriately. And then, Father, for all of us in the room, some of us have been trying our best to follow you for, for years. There's still areas that, that we have not fully surrendered to you, areas where we need to, to trust you more, take you at your word, live in greater obedience. And so I pray, Father, that you would, 
reveal those moments this morning. And then, Father, as you reveal those things, I pray that we wouldn't be satisfied to just be able to sort of pinpoint what that area is, but that we would actually take a step out of the boat and into greater trust and into greater obedience. But, Father, you have to do that work. Your spirit has to move us to do that. I, I can't guilt anyone into that. It, it wouldn't be pointless to try. Your spirit has to do that. And so I'm asking now, pleading now, that your spirit would lead us to respond as you would have us to respond. Father, we love you. We praise you. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.